Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, hello. My name is Ben. And I'm Nicole, and you're listening to Wicked and Grim, a true crime podcast. Warning, the following podcast contains graphic content and material intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. back on the podcast hello how's it going hope everyone's been doing good i have a sore back from all the research i've been putting into this episode (laughs) (laughs) oh my word you always have a sore back i know it's it comes with age it's like every second podcast you're talking about your sore back well now i need to like make sure i don't talk about my sore back and i'm like self-conscious of it thanks just drink some more wine more i've got wine and water in front of me today we're not, we're not fully, or we are adulting. We aren't adulting. I don't know. You need to be an adult to drink wine. But last week we weren't drinking alcohol. We said we were being adults. So I don't know what that means. What are you getting at? <laughs> we're drinking this time is what I'm getting at. We're drinking red wine. It's delicious. It is good. Well, you just got that. How many bottles did you order from Sandhill? A case. You got a case from But we're Sand actually Hill. drinking Hester Creek right now. I thought, I just assumed this was going to be Sandhill, but I no. guess not. No, I was saving that for some reason. For what reason? I don't know. I don't know. But I just needed wine. <laughs> it's a wine But I night. didn't feel like I needed a high-end wine, just wine. <laughs> I mean, if you're drinking wine, you can drink from a box. You can drink for a bottle. Or f- Wine's wine, really. We don't judge. Yeah, we don't judge. It gets the job done, and that's what's important, right? I do judge a little bit, actually. I can tell a bad wine. Okay, what, what makes a good wine, in your opinion? What are you looking for? Um, I don't think we've ever talked about that, have we? Well, I had some the other day and it just like seemed bland. Like it didn't have like, you didn't take a sip and it wasn't like, whoo, like that's nice flavor. Like that's good. There was no whoo to it. It's not bold. It was just like, it was just like, I don't know. You have a sound strip and it was just even. There was no. It was just boring. No peaks to the taste. There There was no exponential notes and character. Yeah. There we go. Why didn't you just say that then? Because I never just say things like they should be said. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> you dance around things all the time. <laughs> oh, that's the life of living with you half the time. It's, trying, it's like deciphering what you're actually trying to say because you just say it straight flat out. But not even just saying it straight flat out. You say it straight flat out and miss half the information. But you, you, I feel like you're the only one that doesn't understand me. So just get it together. I try. <laughs> you can be... Okay. You can have a glass of water and you can be complaining that the temperature of your water is like too warm because your ice cubes are, you didn't put ice cubes in it or something. And we'll be watching a movie and you'll just be like, this is warm. I'll be like, oh, do you want me to like turn the temperature down? No, the water. 
Like, You're making me the... sound like a terrible person. I would never complain about well, no, the temperature but... of water. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> but that's just like an example of how you just like miss half the information. Okay. Okay. Well, I not just needed to point it out water. there that I'm not like, that just made me sound like a basic B. <laughs> well. I would try M to an extent, but not to that extent. I just needed to put that out there. You're kind of basic. So are you. You, I, okay. you are far more basic than me. Actually, my life goal is to become less basic. But I don't really think I'm succeeding at that at all. So I got to work on that. Yeah, you got to work on the basics first. Is living in a tiny <laughs> home basic? I mean, not really. So that's the, one thing. The idea of it is definitely basic. But, but the fact that we're actually doing it. That ain't basic, I don't think. So there you go. Yeah. Come this fall, I'm not going to be no basic B no more. Hmm? It's gone. Well, you'll still have the basic B. Um, attitude, Miss Lulu Pants and her glass of wine. Okay, Lulu Pants are comfortable. I'm sure they are. Oh, yeah. Ripley's diving into her toy, oh, toy bin. Oh, no. Ripley. It might be okay. We'll Let's just see. We'll find out. Come yeah. here, Rip. Come lay down over here. Come on. She's, she's young, so she just has a lot of energy. She's just staring at me like, how dare you summon me, peasant? <laughs> okay, anyways, let's just get into the episode. Mm -hmm. Okay, Ripley aside. We, I, oh man, I didn't realize how big of a case this was when I dove into it. You've oh been my talking God. about it all week. I'm excited. It's, it's something. Let's you put it that way. And you haven't really dove into any detail. Like you just go on, it's so big. This is so big. But you give me no well, other I, hints. I told you some stuff. Like we even Not dropped much. on, we dropped on Instagram and we dropped last week what the, the case is, like who it is. Right. But I haven't given you or anyone else like details. No. But if people have looked it up, they know. Yeah. But this case is is massive. Oh my god. Is it where's it is it Canadian? No, it's in the States. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. So let's just go head first into this. Let's just start right out. Oh, here let's we go. Dive in. I gotta like breathe deep Ooh. here. Okay, so it starts on September twenty-fifth in nineteen sixty-nine. Okay. There was an eight-year-old girl named Tally Shapiro who is walking to school along the infamous uh, Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, like Hollywood. Oh my goodness, I want to go there. <laughs> of course you do. Everyone wants to. We I were mean, supposed to go there. We were. COVID. Maybe one day, but yeah. yeah, COVID's stopping that. Anyway, she's walking to school. She's going along Sunset Boulevard and a car pulls up beside her on the on the side of the street. Okay. And the driver asks if she wanted a ride. Oh, I hope she said no. Uh, well, Tally actually told him, like, you know, I, I don't talk to strangers, right? Good. You know, stranger danger. She's on that, which is really good. good. Um, and luckily, um, a man had seen the vehicle pull up um, next to the little girl, and he kind of thought it was it was strange. So he kind of, like, made a note of this, right? Okay. So the car was described as beige colored a beige-colored car and had no license plates. Okay, that is odd. Definitely. But, I mean, we are talking the 70s, too, so oh. I don't know how odd that is for the 70s, but it's definitely odd. Yeah. Um, the man in the car continued to talk with Tally and apparently told her that he knew her parents and that it's okay. Okay, that's going too far. Unless he did know them, sorry. Well, we don't know. We'll find out though. Okay. <laughs> uh, Tally, only being an eight-year-old girl and this being the 70s and there was no real like stranger danger awareness sort of thing, mm -hmm. uh, didn't exactly have a lot of fear of people and so reluctantly she got into his vehicle. Uh, the witness saw Tally get in the vehicle and he followed them and drove the entire way behind this vehicle and followed the vehicle to a nearby apartment. Uh, and there, uh, the strange man and Tally entered the apartment. Because she's supposed to be going to school. Yes. But th this this um, good Samaritan doesn't know that per yeah. se at this time. He just knows that this little girl was approached, got into this man's vehicle, 
he followed them and they're now at this apartment building and they enter the building. So this all seems strange to this bystander. So he calls the cops. So the police arrive and officer Chris Camacho knocked on the door, but there was no answer. He knocked again and began to threaten to break the door down because there's this, you know, strange encounter mm -hmm. with this little girl. Like we know you're in there. You need to answer. He would have just answered if there was nothing wrong. You think you would think so. Yeah. So anyways, he threatened to break the door down. And then after that, the man appeared in the window shirtless. Oh, uh, and officer Camacho, um, he was interviewed in a documentary called The Killing Game. Great documentary. Go watch it if you can. Um, he said, I will always remember that face at, the, at the, the window. It was a very evil face. So the man in the window responded with, I was in the shower and I have to get dressed. To which Officer Camacho told him he has 10 seconds to open the door and began counting. Okay, so like I already have a really effed up feeling. Oh, you should. You very much like, so I'm should. Like, I'm not going to like this shit, am I? No. Um, warning to anyone out there, this is this is a dark case. Okay, because already I'm like, holy shit, what's happening here? Okay. So the man was dis man disappeared from the window, and Chris Camacho's counting up to 10 before yeah. he breaks the door down. But he's not hearing any, any attempt to open the door or anything. So he busted the door down. What Officer Camacho saw when he opened the door was horrific. Oh, no, no. Okay. There was a large puddle of blood. What? A pair of little girl's white shoes. What? And a little girl's body laying what? lifeless in the kitchen with a 10-pound steel bar across her throat. What the shit? And it hadn't even been that long, had it? Like, he brought her in there and got to business. Yep, it hadn't been that long. What the shit? Because when they arrived at the apartment building and they went in the building, the Good Samaritan called the police... And the police arrived. I, I, I couldn't find like how quickly this was, but it was shortly after they arrived. So within, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes, I'm going to assume. Oh my gosh. Okay. I wasn't, I was like, way to go, Good Samaritan. I wasn't expecting this. Yes, definitely. If it wasn't for this guy, a lot more could have happened. So it was clear that this little girl had been beaten and strangled with the steel bar as well as raped. The man was nowhere in sight, so Officer Camacho began to search. Um, but much to his surprise, moments later, the lifeless little girl, Tally, began to cough and gasp. <gasps> okay. And she survived due to the life-saving actions of Officer Chris Camacho. Holy, well, I like pick up my jaw from the ground here. You got right into this. This is massive, just saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... Oh my God, good on that Good Samaritan. I couldn't find a name. I'm assuming it's going to be a person who's re remaining anonymous and Officer Chris Camacho for their fast actions. Because yeah. if it wasn't for them, uh, Tally Shapiro would not be alive. Well, and because how many people would even, I don't know, I think you just like go on your day to day. You don't even notice. Like, like I don't know, you're busy. You don't even maybe notice that this looks like a sketchy incident happening, right? So. Yeah. He was observant and like, that's awesome. Yes. So I say so a lot when I go to start the sentences. I got to try and stop that. That's okay. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure a dog farted is what I. Okay. Is that what, why you had that facial expression? Because yeah. I know a dog farted, but I just was like, do we need to bring that up again? <laughs> I was just like going with it. <laughs> it's normal in our house. It happens all the time. So yeah. Unfortunately though, with the officer's attention now on Tally. 
the man who he saw shirtless in the apartment. The mofo got away? He was unfortunately able to escape through the back door of the apartment. Oh, that's disgusting. Yeah. So, but thank, like I said, thankfully though, Tally is now, she's, she's safe. Yeah, but right? the shit that happened to her. Yeah, she's... she, she went through some shit. Hopefully she's like, okay, later in life. Well, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get okay. there. Okay. Huh. Later after searching the apartment, they managed to find a couple of things. Lots of camera equipment and lots of photos of young girls, like hundreds. Sweet. Of photos of young girls. And luckily... They also found identification. Good. The man was a student from UCLA, and then his name was Rodney Alcala. Rodney, we're going to get a little background on this this douchebag here. This literal piece of shit? Yeah. Yeah. And we'll learn throughout this episode just how much of a piece of shit okay, this guy this is. This is probably just the tip of the iceberg. This is just the tip of the iceberg. This is just the, the thing that starts off all this giant chain of events. So this is... Well, I don't want to say this is what um, initiates him getting caught, but this is definitely the uh, the first domino that really affects a lot of it anyways. Okay. So Rodney was born August 23rd, 1943 as Rodrigo, Rod- Rodrigo Jaquez Alcala Baroque, I think, in San Antonio, Texas. His name's not important. Who fucking cares? <laughs> I don't care about this guy. But let's get that background anyways. Yeah. In 1954, the family moved to Mexico um, when three years later, the father actually abandoned the family. And in 1954, um, Rodney and his, sorry, Rodney was about 11 and his mother and two sisters moved to the suburbs of LA. Okay. In 1961, at the age of 17, Alcala joined the United States Army and served as a clerk. And a clerk is basically like a, a soldier who works like an office job, like administrative work, you know, okay. dispatching, typing, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I guess they got to like stay in uniform and stuff all the time too. I don't know if they have a potential of being dispatched in like Oh, if armies. needed? Yeah. I'd, I'm assuming they do because they got to stay in shape and such too. Oh, okay. That but, makes sense. So yeah. So they have that potential, but it's mostly administrative stuff. However, after a nervous breakdown, he went AWOL from the army and hitchhiked back to his mother's place. Um, He was actually later diagnosed with antisocial disorder um, by the military psychiatrist and was discharged on medical grounds. Oh, I haven't even heard of that. Me either. Is that a thing? Uh, Apparently. Huh. Antisocial personality disorder, I guess. Huh. Yeah, I've never heard of that. That's interesting. We've heard of it now. Yeah. And you've heard of it on this podcast. I feel like I know some people that might have that. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I, most people I know probably have that. Especially now, I feel like I almost have that. I don't even know how to act in public or social situations anymore. Oh, especially anymore. with 2020, COVID. Well, yeah, with like, COVID. It's like we don't have those interactions definitely. anymore. Wow. This makes him seem like a sleazy nutcase, that whole like being discharged in the military sort of thing. And trust me, he is like 110%. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the perception others actually had of him. Um, he was very much like the Ted Bundy that we all know, like the very charming young man oh, okay. um, who had those around him convinced that he was like he couldn't hurt a fly and he was like very, very nice and charismatic, that sort of thing. Hmm. So that's the perception that he had and that's the kind of charm he was able to put on people around him. So no one even knew that he had this this sort of monstrous, monstrous um, I don't know, ability in him, I guess. Yeah. 
Like they talked to his uh, his professors and stuff, and it was like, how could this? There's no way you got the wrong. Really, guy. they were just shocked, hey? Yeah. Holy, that's so interesting that someone could put on that sort of facade. facade? Yeah. Yeah. Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> In 1969, however, he was put on the FBI's most wanted list. And three years later, he was identified by two young girls who saw him on the wanted poster in a post office. They recognized him as their camp counselor, <gasps> Mr. Berger, at an all-girls summer camp in New Hampshire. No. His full name was John Berger. That was no. the alias he was under. Yes. Most certainly is what Gross. he was doing. Yep. Quickly, the police came in and arrested John Berger, or Rodney Alcala, um, and he was in custody. They found out that since the attack on Tali Shapiro, he had moved to New York, got into NYU as a film student, and has been living his life as John Berger. And being a camp counselor. Yeah. At, at little an, girls' camps. At all-girls little summer camp. That's yes. freaking nasty. So this is just kind of painting the picture of the kind of dude we're dealing with here. Yeah, no shit it is. Yeah. And this is already going on for a couple of years. Like he was, they, they didn't know where he was for those three years. He just went missing and now he was living as John Berger. And he's living like wide in the open too. Huh. Like wide in the open. Interesting. Uh, the trial for Rodney, or, <laughs> the trial for Rodney began, but unfortunately, Tali Shapiro's family moved to Mexico uh, because they wanted to escape the trauma. And they refused to appear in court and wouldn't allow Tali to testify against Rodney. Oh, dang. Unfortunately. I mean, I can understand that, but that sucks. Yeah. So they didn't really have a lot against him in no. that case, unfortunately. So it forced their hand and the prosecutor allowed Rodney to plead guilty to a much lesser charge of child molestation. And he received one year to life sentence in prison. That's it? One year to a life sentence. Now, that's that was an interesting little thing because there are two forms of sentencing in the United States, uh, determinate and indeterminate. And I guess determinate is a specific number of years. Say like 25 years means you know exactly what your sentence is. And indeterminate, indeterminate sentencing means that you meet certain qualifications like by parole board and not a judge, but your parole might be based on the lowest number of your sentence calculations. They might include like, first time offenders, good behavior, or sorry, first time offender, or your good behavior, that sort of stuff. Okay. And it could calculate how long you actually spend in, in prison. But the, the shortest amount of time you can spend is that lowest number, like one year to life. So his lowest number he could spend was one year. So he was just like a saint in prison then, basically, right? Is that what that means? Well, no, because like in court, they're like, okay, this dude is going to go to to jail for one to 25 years okay. in jail. Yeah. Now, depending on how he is in jail and stuff, he could only serve one year. Could be five, determining or depending on those factors. Yeah. Or it could be the full sentence. Okay. Okay. In Rod and Rodney's case, uh, he was released on parole only thirty after 34 months in prison. So only like a couple of years. Sweet. Yeah. That's really awesome. And in 1974, under that indeterminate sensing, sentencing program, that's kind of what allowed allowed this to happen. That just like doesn't actually make a lot of sense it doesn't. to me, the I whole don't, situation. I know it was like really popular at that time, but I don't know if it's like a, a still a thing that's popular used a lot. Popular who? Among criminals that have to serve way less freaking time well, no, than it, they it should? Was, it was popular amongst like 
that era. Of the I know, I know what you mean, but that's I'm sure shit. It was definitely popular amongst the criminals. That just that's brutal. Yeah. Now, of course, we are talking like an extremely, extremely manipulative person, like very charming, like I said, yeah. very Ted Bundy esque. Um, so why wouldn't he be able to put on that facade and show he was rehabilitated and make his parole board or psychiatrist think that oh he's he's good to go back out? Mm-hmm. So of course he's going to play that system, yeah. and he's going to take advantage of the lesser sentencing protocol so part of it. So he's like a psychopath. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So once he was released on parole, less than two months later, Rodney was arrested for violating that parole and smoking weed with a 13-year-old girl. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Okay. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The girl... I couldn't find any uh, like specifics on this. I found like claims on this. Uh, so the girl claimed she had been kidnapped and even still he was once again paroled after serving only two years of an indeterminate sentence. Well, he was probably not supposed to be near little girls. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's why he, he did go to jail for another two years. But the girl claimed she was kidnapped. That I'm not sure like if she was or wasn't. Oh, okay. But that was a claim apparently. Yeah. But. Knowing this fucking douchebag and his behavior, I'm pretty sure she probably was kidnapped anyways. Probably. It sounds sounds like she would have been. Yeah. So even though he is out, he is a registered sex offender. Just keep that in mind. Uh, And due to the incident with, of course, you know, Tally, Tally Shapiro, right? But still, he managed to get right back to his normal life due to his charm, his Ted Bundy charm, his smile, his charisma. And he was making friends. He was dating working as a wedding photographer, and even worked with the LA Times. Oh, but I also feel like, too, just meeting people, you're never, like, checking to see if they're sex offenders. Right. And like, you could, I feel like you could get away with that. Oh, definitely. I know, like, today's society, like, you're meeting someone on Tinder or something, you're Googling, you're doing, like, cross-referencing, photo checks, whatever. But in the 1970s, like, you don't even have the internet to do that. Like, mm-hmm. people aren't going down to the local police station and being like, hey, I just met this guy at a party. Can you tell me if he has a history? Like, that's not yeah. the normal case. I mean, even nowadays, I don't think people do that probably as much as they should. Yeah, definitely. Huh. Even still, though, like, he's working for the LA Times. You'd think a company like that might do background checks. Or even still, even further... On September 13th, 1978, Rodney was a contestant on the game show called The Dating Game, mm. which is where he gets his nickname, The Dating Game Killer. Right, so right. Okay, that that was one tidbit you had shared with me. So this, like, the the game show didn't even do their yeah, background checks Yeah, you would think that they would do background checks. Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> Maybe that's just not a thing. Yeah. So watching the show, and again, remember this is the 70s, so people's character and stuff, it, like I watched it, it seems a little weird, but just thinking back, it's the 70s, right? Oh, I want to watch it. Um, you can see his charisma, and it pays off because he actually gets picked on the show. 
Okay, well, I don't really know much about the show. Okay, well, you remember how it's like that dating show where it's like you have a bachelor or bachelorette, and then behind like partition number one, you have like bachelor number one, bachelor number two. Okay. And like the girl will be like, bachelor number one, you're taking me on an ideal date. Where are we going? Okay, so she doesn't see their face or anything. Correct. They're just like behind this like curtain sort of thing. So they're using their charm and the sound of their voice and blah, blah, blah. And Rodney, full on, he's making jokes and he's like the way he's laughing and smiling, like it's coming across in his voice and it's, it worked. Like he, he won. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me really. Although after the game show, after he was, he was picked, it's kind of funny. Um, He didn't actually get to go on the date with a girl because the girl once actually meeting him and stuff, she found him creepy. <laughs> wonder why yeah introduced sorry i missed one little part here i'm gonna throw this in when he was introduced on the show uh he was contestant number one and he was described as a a successful photographer and you might find him skydiving or motorcycling so i mean that sounds like an exciting individual already Mm -hmm. not uh like raping little girls that wasn't it definitely didn't say i like to take photos rape and molest little girls it did not say that on the show should have it should have. If they did their background checks, it would have, but it didn't. <laughs> yes. So the girl didn't end up going on a date with him because he's totally like a creep and she got some bad vibes from him. And they, she actually asked the game show, like, do I have any obligations? Did I sign anything that says I have to go on this date? And they're like, no, like we can't force you to do that shit. So she didn't do that. She didn't go on the date with him, which there are some theories um, from psychiatrists and stuff like that, which may have triggered something in him that... Uh, resulted in more cases oh really yes so that yeah. could have been well could i was just gonna, like good for her for going on her gut people don't listen to their yeah. gut enough well most likely if she did go on the date with this dude she probably would have ended up murdered yeah but then now this caused more shit like that sucks yeah. well i will say this though like we find out a little bit later on this was when he was on this dating show this was in the middle of his killing spree hmm. so like right smack dab in it so, so her like creepy killer vibe radar was just yeah she, going she was pinging that on her radar she's like this dude is gonna kill me so yeah, i'm not i hope i him. have a good radar for that <laughs> hopefully you never have to use it that's true <laughs> <laughs> that's very true <laughs> so in the spring of 1979 a 12 year old girl from huntington beach california robin samso was at the beach with her breast her best friend bridget wilvert i think is how you say her name they were at the beach and they were approached by a man who was who asked if they he could take Robin's photo. She happily said yes. You know, he charmed her, you know, said maybe you know, I'm, I'm doing a, a photo contest, that sort of stuff. And, uh, she, you know, happily said yes. And he took her photo. And Bridget kind of got some off vibes from this guy, she was saying. And he was chased off kind of by uh, a neighbor of Robin's who was kind of like, oh, who's this? And he kind of like quickly scuttled mm-hmm. away sort of thing, right? Well, it's one thing if you're taking photos of like a grown person on the beach, but not yeah. a child. Yeah, 12-year-old girl on the beach, so. that's Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. After Robin left the beach, uh, she had to go to her ballet practice. And on she disappeared on the way there. Oh, she never no. made it to ballet practice. I don't know why I didn't see that coming. Yeah. It was on June 20th, 1979. And her ballet teacher called her parents, let her know that she never showed up to class. Eek. And her parents immediately phoned 911. Okay, and sorry, I just need to clarify something. So Robin was the one that he was taking photos of? Yes. Okay, not the friend. Okay. No, the friend was Bridget. Okay. 
So they phone 911. Immediately, there's, they're searching for her. Uh, her brothers were riding their bikes, and I quote from them, hours and hours. They were riding along the path where she was supposed to be searching for her. Oh, no. And those hours and hours turned into days. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, that's really sad. Yeah. Oh, my heart. Twelve days later, oh, in the foothills of Los Angeles, more than 40 miles away from where she was at the beach, Robin's body was found. Oh, no. She was so unrecognizable from the elements and scavengers, it took police three days to identify her remains, and she was mostly just bones. Wow. Holy yeah. shit. Cool. <laughs> How are you enjoying this case so far? Well, I'm actually really fucking glad I have a glass of wine right now because this is stressful shit. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's so sad. Yeah, I know. So, so far we've, we've talked about an eight-year-old girl and a 12-year-old girl. And, and that's multiple... probably not even it. Oh, that's not it. Well, no, I mean, there was even probably more in there that like oh, yeah. slipped through the cracks. Well, look at those hundreds of photos they found in his apartments. Well, and the friggin' that fact that he was a camp counselor. Yep. That exactly. That is just like enough to make you want to vomit. Yeah. So because of that incident at the beach, though, with the man that was taking Robin's picture, uh, her friend Bridget, who was there with her, was able to give a description of the man to the police, and they released a sketch, which we've already put up on our Instagram. You guys can go check that out. Uh, the sketch led per a parole officer to call police and identif identify mm -hmm. Rodney Alcala. Okay, okay. So this is good. Yeah, so Rodney was identified. He's like, you need to look into this guy. He matches the description, looks a lot like the man you're looking for. I just broke our pillow. How did you break I don't a pillow? Know. My finger just went right through it. That's interesting. Sorry. So I love your sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, I'll focus. I was just like, how do you break a pillow? I don't know. <laughs> Broken pillow? That doesn't, like, ripped? Oh, just leave it to me. No kidding. The inside is ripped. I don't know. Keep going. Sorry. The, how do you know the inside of the pillow is ripped? Because the outside is fine. I just felt it in the inside. Rip. What did you do to that pillow? I don't pillow? know. We'll figure it out after, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this is really... I think it's it's my stress ball, maybe. I was just, like, freaking maybe. out. <laughs> So Rodney was currently living with his parents um, and he was out on bail at the time for the brutal rape and abduction of a 15-year-old, Monique Hoyt. She was posing for photos for him when he knocked her unconscious and she was found left for dead with a shirt shoved in her mouth. Okay, but she didn't die? She didn't die. What's with all these people, these little girls saying they'd pose for photos? I Well, like he's very charming, right? And he's this photographer and he kept saying things like, you know, I'm working on like a, uh, a magazine or a, a contest, a photo contest, these sort of things. And he's convincing these girls that they'll be seen in magazines or whatever oh, okay. and he's going to take their photo. And that age, you're very like, want to be seen. Oh, definitely. Right? So yeah. they're thinking, I can get in a magazine. I could be famous, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, she was uh, unfortunately left for dead by Rodney Alcala. And again, though, he was out on bail. Like, this is now how many cases we've already gone through and he's just still walking around. Yeah, like how come he's not just in prison for life? Uh, he already should be. Exactly. Unfortunately, like if Tally Shapiro was at her trial, he very well could have been. That's true. Eek. Yeah. At his residence, they found a receipt for a storage locker 
And after investigating said locker, Uh they found Robin's earrings amongst a small bag of other earrings and hundreds of photos of young girls who were in their swimsuits or nude. And Rodney was even present in some of these photos. Very sexual explicit photos. Oh my goodness. Gross. Yes. yes. Like this dude just keeps getting worse and worse. Like he's so skeevy. Like, oh, fuck those this guy. storage units, hey? Right. Like I just feel like storage units are sketch. And the one of the reasons they actually um really jumped on the storage unit was they had Rodney Alcala in custody and he was actually on the phone with his sister while he was in jail. And he told his sister that she needs to clear out this locker for him. Oh, he, Rodney didn't know that the police were listening to this call and the police were like, we have a receipt for a storage locker in his possessions that we found at his home. We need to beat the sister there. They beat the sister to the storage locker before she could get there. And they found this shit. I'm so surprised that cause he was like living with his parents and yeah. like, does this, they, they, the family not know that he's nuts. I mean, yeah, you're always biased with your own family, I guess. And again, his charm, his charisma, the facade he can put on. His charm, his charm's pissing me off right now. But it just shows how manipulative he is. Yeah. Right? Like it's true psychopath. He's a he's fucking horrible. He's a fucking demon. But what sort of person can be that inside and fool those around him on the outside? Yeah. It's fucking scary. It would be interesting to know if his sister would have like cared about those photos or if she would have just discarded them like he wanted. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of interested in that too. Yeah. So anyways, he was arrested for the murder of Robin Samso on July 24th of 1979. And in February of 1980, his trial began. Okay. And you know what? I, we're cutting it a little bit short here, but we got a lot of stuff to go through. So I think this is where I'm going to cut it off and say that we'll leave the rest for next episode. This is this is the first of two. The first of two. We're going to get into Rodney Alcala's trials in the next one. And uh, a lot of shit happens still. We got a lot more to go through. Hmm. It's already been a wild ride. <laughs> it has. Let's just continue it. We're not going to make you guys wait an entire week, though. We'll drop this. What? Should we make them wait one day, two days? What do you think? Are you going to make me be the bad one? I was thinking two. Two? Oh, shit. You really want to build that suspense, don't yeah, you? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, you guys are going to wait two days. So this is dropping on Tuesday. And on Thursday, the second part will come out. And you guys will get to hear all about what this fucking trash bag of a human uh, went through in his, his trials. Yeah, And, and I what hope, he put everyone else through, too. I hope that uh, it satisfi- satisfies us a little. But we shall see. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, until until that episode... Until then, stay wicked, friends. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.